Amen. 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 Say it, good time. Good time. I'm going to come down there amongst you if you don't mind. You know, it's a new year. Pastor David and I were talking about visions and dreams that you might have. How many of you have a vision or a dream for your life? And what I mean by that, how many of you have something that you're living your life that you have direction to it? You've got purpose. You know, it's important to live a purposeful life. How do you do that? You have to have a mindset to where you're always living, you're making decisions. If you have a goal, a dream, a vision, and you keep that before your eyes, it makes other decisions easy. Because when you look at something, what should I do here? You know, I've got a choice, A or B, A, B, C or D. How do I do? What do I do? If you have a purpose, if you have a direction, if you have a vision, if you have a dream, it helps those other decisions to be simple because you can say, no, wait a minute, which of these is going to get me closer to my vision? Which of these is going to get me closer to my dream? So let me just ask again, how many of you here have a vision or a dream for your life? I hope you do. I hope you've got some kind of purpose, something that you're desiring to see come to pass. Now, it doesn't have to be a huge manifold thing, you know, I'm believing God that I'll solve diseases or whatever. It could be something very pragmatic, very simple, such as, I want to get out of debt. Did I hear an amen on that one? You know, see, I don't want you to think we're talking about lofty, incredible stuff. Some of you are going, I've never made any of those decisions. How many of you here want to be out of debt? That could be a vision or a dream for 2023. How many of you here want to own your own home? How many of you here believe in God to conceive a child? How many of you believe in God that you will not conceive a child? See, so whatever your vision or your dream is, what I want to talk about today is, what are you going to do to make that come to pass? Everybody look at me. You've got visions and dreams. You've had things you desire. I suspect the things you want to see happen this year, you might have wanted to see happen last year. Maybe you've been wanting to see it happen for a number of years. So to me, the question is, what makes this year any different? What do you do this year you didn't do last year in order to see your visions and dreams come to pass? How many of you here would be agreeable in saying, for things to happen, some things are going to have to change? Agreed? I talked about this when I was here back last time, is that things have to change. Now, how many of you know a lot of people think everything around them needs a change? You know, if I had a different husband, then I could be happy. I mean, this is the problem. I mean, you do the math, and you'll see why. Others, it's not their mate, it's their job, or it's where they live, or it's the car they drive. If everything around them changed, well, then they could be happy. But how many of you know that isn't how God rolls? Right. No, that's right. God typically doesn't do his work from the outside in. He does his work from the inside out. Amen. Meaning, to bring about change in your life, he's going to start with you. So what I want to talk about is, what are you going to change in 2023 to see things come about that haven't come about before. And the text that I want to use is Habakkuk chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, conveniently, it's going to be up here on the screen. But I want you to read with me. It says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Let's just stop there. Let's look. What are the first four words of that scripture? Write down the revelation. Whatever it is you're believing God for, we're believing God to get out of debt. We're believing God to own our own home. We're believing God to be able to start a business. We're believing God, whatever it is, I'm believing God to be healed. Whatever it is you're believing God for, write it down. Write it down. Well, what do you mean write it down? I'm talking about literally, write it down. And then he said, make it plain on a tablet so that a herald may run with it. How many of you know at the time this was written, they didn't have Instagram? Right? There's no tweeting. There's no texting. And so if you wanted somebody over there in the next city to get a message, you had to write it down. And then you sent a herald. You sent somebody who was a, a runner to go and take that message. And he's saying, whatever it is that you're believing God for, if someone asks you, what's your vision statement? If you know anything about business, if you're a business owner, every business needs a vision statement. It's important. Many businesses do that. They'll put it right in the hallway when you come into their lobby. Here's our vision. Here's our goal. I marvel how many huge companies there are that if you wouldn't ask the people who are employees there, what's the vision of this company? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Make money? A lot of times, 
to make money, you're going to have to make some serious decisions. You've got to have visions and dreams. So here's what I'm saying to you. Your vision and dream is never going to come to pass if you don't write it down and get it before your eyes. He said, and make it plain. In other words, it shouldn't take you 10 pages to write your vision. It could probably be one or two sentences. Amen? He says, write it down, make it plain on a tablet so that hell may run with it. Look at the next verse, verse 3. He says, for the, the revelation awaits what? An appointed time. How many of you have learned God deals in times and seasons? How many of you know he may not come when you want him to? I had a little less participation on that. But how many of you know he may not come when you want him to? And that's why he says, it comes at an appointed time. It speaks at the end, it will not prove false. Though it what? Lingers. See, he may not come when you want him to. He says, though it linger, wait for it, for it will certainly come and not delay. Here's been my experience. God has never been late in my life. But he has missed some wonderful opportunities to be early. <laughs> He's never been late. But he's missed some wonderful opportunities to be early. And here's the deal. Whatever your vision and dream is, just because it doesn't happen in six weeks, six months. How many of you have ever believed God something for a year? How many of you have ever believed God for something for three years? Five years? Everybody look at me. Here's the deal. Every one of you here have faith for God's promise. I marvel how many times when I talk to people, I just don't realize, it's me. I don't feel like I have enough faith. Well, how many of you know the Bible says he gave unto every man the measure of faith? Let me hear y'all say, that's what it says. says. Scripture says he gave unto every man the measure of faith. Now, how many of you know when God was handing out faith, he didn't get it for you from dollar store? Right. It's It's the God kind of faith. Say it. I got the God kind of faith. I've got the God kind of faith. Let me hear all the women say, I got the God kind of faith. Let me hear the men say it. I got the God kind of faith. Let me hear those of you in the sound booth say it. Amen. Everybody in the room, say it. I got the God kind Yes. So the question isn't whether you have faith for the promise. You all do. God gave you that from the moment you were conceived. That was in you with his genetics. You have the faith you need for God's promises. But the question is, have you got faith for the wait? Everybody has faith for the promise. Precious few people have faith for the wait. Many people give up when it doesn't happen right now, next month. I'm quitting. It's never going to happen. So if you want to see your dream come to pass, part of what will help you to have faith for the wait is if you have it written down and you put it somewhere up prominent in your home. I was sharing with a pastor. I said, he and I were talking about some dreams he has for his life. And I said, have you written it down? He said, I have. I said, well, you know what did you need to do? You need to get that up. Like in your bathroom mirror. Yep. When the Lord called me into ministry... I thought that happened when I was 18 because that's when I got born again. In fact, I've heard preachers say, well, when I was 22, the Lord called me into ministry. And I was going to go, no, he didn't. Because how many of you know you didn't do anything at 22 where he looked at you and went, Shazam! I had no idea, David. Go into the game. Go into the game. God knows his plan for your life from the moment you're conceived. It's just when you were 22, you were finally in a place where he could reveal it to you. So when I was 18, God revealed the call that he'd had on my life. My family did music all over the world, and and I grew up doing that from the time I was 13. And so we we lived in a bus, and we traveled in a bus that would sleep about 15 or 16 people, all the band members. My bunk was back in the back where the engine was, which was glorious because the drone of that big diesel engine, I could just sleep at any hour of the day. And I'm back there sleeping And all of a sudden, the Lord woke me up, and he said, turn to the first chapter of Jeremiah. Full disclosure, I didn't know where Jeremiah was in my Bible. I'd only been saved a few weeks. I had to look it up in the index. I found it, and he said, turn to the first chapter of Jeremiah and read it. He said, for the same way I called Jeremiah, I'm calling you. Now, if you're familiar with that story, Jeremiah says, you know, that the Lord came to me and spoke to me and said, from the time you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I called you to be a prophet to the nations, to build up and to tear down, to create and to destroy. And if you know the story, Jeremiah said, you know, I'm thinking you've got me confused (laughs) with somebody else because you're talking about building up and tearing. I'm just a kid. He said, I don't even know how to speak. Well, how many of you know that in itself is a lie? Because he was speaking. In fact, he interrupted God to say that. And the Lord looked at him and said, I can see right now, Jeremiah, your mouth is going to be a problem. Yeah. 
<laughs> How many of you here have ever been told that? Raise your hand if you've been told your mouth is a problem. Raise your hand if you didn't have to be told. You knew it going in. Raise your hand if you told everybody else. Heads up. My mouth could be a problem. And the Bible says the Lord reached out his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth. And he said to him, I'm putting my words in your mouth. The Lord revealed that to me. When I read that, I knew this is serious business. And I knew I may never find this again. I knew I've got to write this down. How many of y'all remember those long yellow legal pads with the blue lines in it? I went and got it, and I hand wrote Jeremiah 1, verse 4 through 10. And the Lord spoke to me and said, put it over the headboard of your bed. He said, so that every morning, look at me as I tell you this. He said, so that every morning when you get up, the first thing you do is you get your eyes on your vision for your life. He said, every night before you go to bed, let it be the last thing you look at. Every morning when you get up, let it be the first thing you look at. So whatever it is you're believing God for, whatever your vision or your dream is, everybody say, write it down. And when you write it down, put it somewhere prominent. Don't write it down and put it in a desk and shut it. I wrote that down years ago. I don't know where it is. Keep it where it's before your eyes. Keep it where it's before your eyes every day. So it's the first thing you look at in the morning and at night when you go to bed, it's what you go to bed dreaming about. Because if you have a dominant thought that is directed towards the plan for your life, every decision you make will become easy. Every decision you make, you'll come to intersections in your life and you'll make the right decision because you have a directive. You've got a compass to your life. You mean you say, that's good. good. It is good. Everybody say, write it down. down. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is in Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to begin with verse 4. Again, they have it up on the screen where you can see it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Let me hear everybody shout, "Rejoice!" rejoice. Look at the next verse. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Verse 6, he said, now, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, let me hear you all say, break it down. As a Bible teacher, that's my responsibility, break down. Because when I would first read the Word of God, it was hithers and thous and Pharisees and Sadducees. And I was like, what? What does all this mean? So we're going to break this down. Say it again, break it down. Let's just look word by word. He says, don't be anxious about anything. What does it mean to be anxious? To worry. How many of you here have ever worried? How many of you here feel like that's a challenge in your life is to keep from worrying? Well, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, don't worry. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you, don't worry about it? You know, and, and, that's, and this is what the Lord is telling you don't worry about. Because how many of you learned worrying don't change nothing? Right. Right. right? How many of you here have known that worry doesn't change anything and you worried anyhow? Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. And that's what's crazy. And you know, you tell some people, don't worry. And they're like, but what if I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm afraid I might worry. What will happen if I worry? <laughs> well, it won't change anything. You'll shorten your life. Seriously. Heart sickness disease all comes when you when you have a mind that is constantly troubled you don't sleep well you don't feel good you don't eat right so paul gives practical advice don't worry about it. look at your neighbor and say don't worry about it, don't worry about it. now he says but how many of you know the lord never gives you a commandment without arming you ahead of time so that you can complete that task look at the verse he says don't be anxious about anything in other words don't worry but in every situ- situation by what How many know the first key to being freed up from worry is prayer? You show me somebody that worries a lot, I'll show you somebody that doesn't have a very effective prayer life. That's a profound statement if I don't mind acknowledging it. Show me somebody who worries a lot, I'll show you somebody that doesn't have a very effective prayer life. Because how many of you know you can't walk in faith and fear at the same time? And fear is what produces worry, and prayer is what produces faith. As you pray, as you read the Word of God, as you study, he says through prayer. Now, incredibly, you would think prayer alone would be the answer. But what does this verse say? By prayer and. How many of you, anytime you see the word and, there's more? So through prayer and what? Petition. The King James says supplication. Through prayer and supplication. What does it mean to supplicate? means you're going to hell. Supplicator! (laughs) Sounds like a sin, doesn't it? But it's not. (laughs) Supplication is not a sin. 
To supplicate means to petition. What does it mean to petition something? To write it down. How many of you have ever had somebody come to your house and says, we'd like for you to sign this petition? I remember my wife and I live in the country. We actually had someone come to our house, knock on the door, and I said yes. And he said, uh, listen, we're trying to make the Smiths get rid of their goats. Would you sign this petition? And I'm like, no, I like their goats. In fact, if you want to get rid of them, I don't like you. <laughs> Can we sign a petition to make you leave? Because I like their goats. Why are people wanting you to sign your name to petitions? To make it your vision. When you write something down and you sign your name to it, you personalize it. It becomes you. And so Paul's saying, here's the key to being freed up from worry. Write it down, first of all, and then through prayer and petition. Write it down with what? How many of you know one of the oddball kind of quirky things about God? He likes you to thank him ahead of time. As if though he's already done it. Because, drum roll, he has already done it. Amen? Everybody in this side of the room, we're dividing the room right here. All of you in this side of the room, let me hear y'all say, he's already done. He's already done. Let me hear this side of the room say, what he needed to do. What he needed to do. What he needed How many know, in fact, that is the case? He has already done everything he needed to do in order for your dream to come to pass. You, there's nothing in your vision and dream and it not being fulfilled that you can say, well, if Jesus had been more thorough, I wouldn't have this problem. Because you're lying. He's already done. Let's try that again. You're lying. He has in fact. Is that in the Bible? Let me hear y'all say, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is in fact. Because let me ask you, what were Jesus' final words hanging on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. And then he said, Father, I commit my spirit unto you. And then what happened? The Bible says that the Lord raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the yes. Father. How I many of you know you don't sit down until you're done? Mm-hmm. He's already done all he's going to do. Say it. He's already done. So all you need to do is pray, write it down, and then thank him that it's already done. Look at the next verse, verse 7. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? The two parts that worry wants to attack. Worry attacks your heart and your mind. And so if you can write it down, you can petition, you can give God thanks every day. You see, every day when you write down your dream, you're getting up and you're looking at it, you're thanking Him that whatever it is you've written down, that that's come to pass. Amen? Amen. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if it's excellent or if it's admirable, what should you do? Think, look at your name and say, think about that. Everybody nudge you ever sitting next to you and say, think about that. Some of you didn't nudge anybody, and there's a couple of y'all here need to be nudged. Nudge somebody and tell them, say, think about that. And that's number two in my hit list of what you need to do to see your dream come to pass. Number one is you need to write it down. Number two, you need to change your mind. You need to change what you think about. See, your visions and dreams will never come to pass if you don't think about them fulfilled. Amen? Amen? And how many of you know the world would have you to believe you are what you eat? You know, something we've had all these people that are really concerned about. You can eat that? That has wheat gluten in it. What if, where did that gene come into our gene pool? You know what I'm saying? I mean, for years you never heard, and now I'm, I'm, I'm you know. Lactose intolerant, I'm, I'm not belittling any of that, but I'm saying people are sure concerned about what we eat. Right. And, and clearly I'm not, but we should be. <laughs> but how many of you know when you stand before the throne of God, the Lord is not going to look at you and go, these cholesterol numbers <laughs> in this body mass index. I don't even know where to begin. How many of you know you're not going to give an account for everything you put in your mouth? What will we give an account for, however? What we've allowed to come out of our mouth. And how many of you know, typically it doesn't come out of your mouth until it's gone into your mind. The world to have you believe you are what you eat, you are in fact what you think. As a man thinketh, so is he. Say it, I am what I think. So what you need to start doing is thinking about seeing your dream come to pass. Change your mind. Everybody say, write it down. Change your mind. You need to change how you think. In fact, whenever I talk about changing your mind, everybody put your hand on your hip. Put your hand on your hip like this. 
Sir, you don't have it. Thank you. <laughs> don't make me come back. Everybody put your hand on your hip. Say this to me. I've changed my mind. That's what God wants you to do. How many of you realize your life could change if you just change how you think? Seriously. I've had people come up, and, and I told Pastor last night, I don't always do healing lines, but sometimes people come up, and when I have prayed, I've had people come up, would you pray for my back? It's killing me. And I've had people come up and say, you know, would you pray for my knees? My knees are killing me. One time I had a man come up with his wife. He said, would you pray for me? My head's killing me. And she said, it's killing me too. Pray for his head. <laughs> I've been in ministry 44 years. I've prayed for killer backs, killer heads, killer kidneys, mass murdering knees. You know what I've never had anybody do? Come to the front and say, would you pray for me? And I said, well, where do you need a healing? And they go, oh, wow. right here. It's killing me. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know, if you just changed how you thought, you could change how you talk? Yeah. Let me hear you say, imagine that. Imagine that. So everybody say, write it down. Right. Change your mind. Right. And that brings us to the next point. Confess your dream. Confess your dream. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, whatever your vision is, confess it. What does that mean? Tell people. Yeah. Tell people. My wife and I began travel ministry 34 years ago. I've been in full-time ministry 44 years, but we've been in full-time travel ministry for 34. Now, if you're wondering, what does that mean? I'm in a different city and state every weekend. I was in a different place last weekend, last weekend than I am this week. I'll be in a different place next week and so on, 52 weeks a year, 34 years we've done this. And there were times in the early days we would go out and be gone for six, eight weeks at a time. We used to say we only come home to do our laundry. And we were running out of stuff. We'd just buy, buy more underwear. Just buy some more. And eventually we'd be able to hit a laundromat. And, we can get a, and so we would be out there for days and days and weeks and weeks at a time. And we had a conversion van. And that was wonderful. It seemed like a, it was as nice a conversion van as you get. How many of you know a conversion van if you're going to the ball game for the weekend? A conversion van is nice if you're going out with the, with the family. If you're all coming together to see Wake get dedicated. <laughs> But how many of you know, if you and your entire family are going to stay in that thing for six weeks, it gets small really, really quick. And so I grew up in a bus. I told you my family did gospel music all over the world. We didn't have a house until I was seven. And so my house rolled down the road. In fact, if I see buses now, I get excited. I smell diesel fuel and my heart starts beating. I, I, I probably need counseling, but I love buses. And so I started telling my wife, I said, baby, we need a bus. That's what we need. I grew up on a bus. But how many of you know buying a bus is like buying a house? And like houses, you can buy a house for $100,000 or you can buy a house for $2 million. That's the way buses are. And we just started this ministry. And, and in them early days, man, there were some lean times. So, I mean, we were doing well to cover that conversion. Man, it seemed the furthest thing away to ever have a bus. But we started talking about it. And I was telling Pastor last night, we had done a concert. We did concerts back in those days exclusively. And I think we were in like Columbus, Georgia, Macon, Georgia, somewhere like that. And we were driving the next night to Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And so we got up early, and I got about an eight, nine-hour drive. And the whole way we're driving, I'm telling my wife, Hunter Bonner, here's the thing about a bus. And I'm telling, I mean, you could have your own bed. You're back there sleeping on that couch. You and our son both on that couch. We homeschooled him. She did everything on a four-foot by four-foot square. I said, baby, you could have your own bed. When I'm driving, you could sleep. You could have a kitchen. You could cook for us. I said, some of them got washers and dryers in them. It could be something else. So now she's got the dream. So for nine hours, that's all we talk about. We get to the service that night. Never been there before. Never met the man who's hosting us. We got up and did our thing. When we was done, my wife and I typically would walk out into the lobby and wait for everybody to be dismissed. As we started to walk back there, the pastor said, Brother Kim and Susan, could you come back up front? He said, ushers, bring me two chairs. They put two chairs right in the center stage. He said, come up here and sit down. He said, God's given me a word for you. Now, how many of you know there's a lot of people that have a word for you that don't have one for themselves? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've learned in churchdom, there's a lot of people who are prophets. But I didn't know about this guy. He's one of the foremost prophetic ministers in the world. Written books all over about it. I, I didn't know that. We'd never met him. And so he says, come up here and sit down. 
We sat down, and the very first thing he said to me, he said, Kim, the Lord told me to tell you this to get your attention so that you'd know this was of him. He says, the Lord says, begin to believe me now for an increase in your travel vehicle. He said, for I'm going to give you a diesel motor coach. Oh my That's all he said, and I got up and started dancing. And I'm not exaggerating, I, and I can't dance. That's why I'm in the band. But I got up and started dancing. And he said, Kim, that isn't the word. That's just what the Lord told me to tell you to get your attention so I could give you the word. But he said, I'm going to give you a diesel motor coach. And he said, I'm not going to give it to you because you deserve it. He said, I'm going to give it to you the reason I give everything, by my grace. He said, but begin to believe me for it now. Man, that was so powerful. By the way, the man prophesied over us for like 25 minutes. They put it on, this is how long ago it was. It was on a cassette tape. Some of these kids are going, what's a cassette tape? They're Googling, cassette tape, what is that? Uh, and so it was so powerful. He gave me that first word, and I knew, man, this is of God. And for 25 minutes, he gave prophetic words that over the next 25 years, whenever our faith would get low, Susan and I, my wife, we'd look at one and say, we need to put that tape in. Because so many of those words had already been fulfilled. And to this day, about 90% of what he prophesied of it has come to pass. But the first thing he said to me was, I'm going to give you an increase in travel vehicle. Well, to be honest with you, how many of you have ever had God speak something to you? So powerful, sound like it's going to be in the next month. Seriously, I mean, I was thinking in the next 30 days, somebody's going to say, we have this bus we don't need, or here's a diesel motorhome. In fact, if I met somebody with a motorhome, I was like, has God been speaking to you? I mean, <laughs> because I knew we didn't have the means. I just knew any minute somebody's going to walk up to us. And then like six months passed. Nothing. And the Lord spoke to me and said, do you believe what I said to you? And he said, yeah. He said, then why aren't you out shopping for one? Because he said, if, I believe, if you believe what I said that I'm going to give you one, wouldn't you be out trying to find it? Wouldn't you be out trying to discern which one you want? Refine your vision? Pick out what amenities you like? And I thought, well, that's true. I told my wife, baby, we've got to start shopping for these things. And so we started going to these. There's very few of them that sell converted motor coaches, buses. And there's one in Knoxville, and it's a big one. And so we went to it. And we started looking at him, and well, everyone just seemed incredible. And finally, we saw one, and my wife said, I, I like this one. And, and I grew up in a bus, and so when I was 16, that's one of the first things I learned to do was to drive the bus. So I thought, man, I want to drive this thing. I said, could, could we test drive this one? He goes, test drive it? He said, we don't let people test drive this. And I think that one was like three, $400,000. I said, you're telling me somebody comes in and gives you that kind of money for something they've never driven? He said, every day. I said, well, I'm not. And my wife said, you're certainly not. You don't have any money. I said, well, he don't know that. Get behind me, Satan. I said, I want to test drive this. He said, well, sir, I said, go tell your manager. He said, he's not. I said, go tell him. He walked off like a little old man's been married too long. And when he come out, he said, well, there's a first time for everything. And he had the keys. And I test drove it. Over six and a half years, I test drove 52 of them. Because that's how long it was from the time that the Lord told us, I'm going to give you a coach, to when it actually came. Everybody has faith for the promise. Where the rubber meets the road is, do you have faith for the weight? In those six and a half years, God told me, every pastor who hosts your ministry, tell them what I'm going to do for you. And so I would tell these guys, not in a big deal, but just why would I say, by the way, brother, the Lord just compelled me that I need to share with you to build my own faith. God's going to give Susan and I a diesel motor coach. Well, we'll be in agreement with you, mate. We'll pray. Thing was, I'd go to preach for these guys. Did you get it yet? No. A year later, did you get it? No. Three years and no. Let me just tell you in advance, we haven't got it yet. But after six and a half years, we got to drive it to places. And people got to see. And let me tell you, however I thought it was going to be, it was three times that when it came. And so I'm sharing this with you because you may have a vision or dream that seems completely and utterly unattainable. But how many of you know God's arm is not short? 
How many of you know, even though you may be limited in resources, he is not. And what you can't do for yourself, he can do for you. It is such a miraculous miracle. I shared with Pastor last night about how the Lord brought that motor coach into our hands. We drove it for three years. I put like 120,000 miles on it. We had it in every province in Canada, California, Idaho, Montana, Florida, Pennsylvania, and sold it for more than we bought for it. That's how God rolls. Everybody say, write it down. Write it down. Change your mind. Change your mind. Confess your dream. Why did the Lord tell me to tell all these pastors? Was that for them? It was for me. Everybody look at me. The reason it's important for you to confess your dream is because when your mouth says it, your ears hear it. And how many of you know, you may listen to other people and not believe what they say. How many of you have a friend that if they're talking, you know they're lying? (laughs) Right? So you all know somebody like that, or you know, I don't, know, I don't believe it. But how many of you know who you always believe is you? Come on, y'all. You always believe. You, you believe you, and you know you're lying. <laughs> That's how powerful your mouth is. Amen. Everything your mouth says, your ears go, did you hear that? <laughs> That's the story we're going with. That's why you need to confess your dream. Whatever your vision is, whatever your dream is, I don't care how outlandish or impossible it seems, you need to confess it because every time your mouth confesses it, your ears hear it and it builds your faith. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> say, is that in the Bible? <laughs> well, how does the Bible say faith comes? By hearing. hearing the word of God. So this is important I emphasize this. How many of you know whatever your vision and dream is does not necessarily mean that's from God? So that's the asterisk I should put on this, is that whatever it is, you know, your vision dream may be to live in Hawaii, but that may not be God's plan for your life. Okay? So there's some balancing truths here, but as long as whatever it is your vision or dream is, is something that lines up with what God has for your life, then no holes barred. Right. You stick to your guns and don't give up no matter what. Right. And so I've said all that to tell you this story. The thing I loved about Brother Hagin, he's a storyteller. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Kenneth E. Hagin. Wonderful Bible teacher. And typically he would teach through stories. And so in this whole idea of confessing your dream, I want to tell you about an experience that my wife and I had. that was the first incredible miracle in our lifelong time of miracles. And, and that is, I met my wife. I played in a band here in the Atlanta, that was out of the Atlanta area called the uh, Mind of Ever and Broken Heart. And our home church was Mount Perrin Church over here in northwest Atlanta. And we were playing there one night, and someone had invited who would become my wife to come. And Susan was not a Christian. In fact, when that person invited her, she said, go to church. Susan said, I'm bored, but I'm not that bored. (laughs) But she said, incredibly, she said, a half hour later, I called and said, I guess I'm that bored. And so she came. She said, I I didn't know what to expect. When she came in, we were up playing. How many of you guys here remember the first time you saw your wife? Be a good time to raise your hand, man. How many (laughs) of you here remember the first time? I mean, I do. I now remember, I can tell you what she was wearing. Off-white linen skirt, teal-colored top, curly hair, she came walking in the back doors. All the lights were low in the place except for the exit signs over the doors. Well, when she come walking in, I'm pretty sure the clouds above her parted and I heard angels go, ha! And when she walked in, I remember looking back there and going, in the name of Jesus, I received that. <laughs> that cranks my tractor right there. I don't have to fast and pray. I know that works for me. What I didn't know, she's not born again, and so she came, and, and, and she came up to me and was quite forward, invited me to dinner and everything, and my flesh was like, yes, we're there! And then I was going, no, 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 pulling the reins, and so I said, well, we'll go out to eat with a group of people. We're going to eat pizza. The whole band and the roadies will all go out. So we did. And so I began to share with her. She had a lot of hurt. All of us have hurt. I mean, isn't that what most of us brought to the Lord was hurt and disappointment? She had a hurt and disappointment, and, and I was trying to sew it all up there, but I realized she had so many questions, and, and for a long time, I tried to answer the questions, and then a thought popped in my head, you're not God's defense attorney. 
You know what I mean? It's not my responsibility to answer for everything that's happened to you in your life. And so finally I said to her, I said, you know what? I, I, I don't know. But I said, he does. Ask him. I said, he ain't going to offend him or make him mad. You gotta, that sounds legitimate to me. You got to be, take that to him. And so I told her, I said, I have sowed seed into your life tonight. I said, somewhere down the line, somebody else is going to be the one to actually lead you to Jesus. I said, when that happens, here's my phone number. Call me. <laughs> I did. I gave him and I said, you call me. And so about two, three months passed. We're in rehearsal. And it was a strict deal. No phone calls during rehearsal. Well, our engineer came in and he said, I'm so far to interrupt. He said, uh, there's an emergency call for Kim. I said, for me? And he says, yeah. And so they said, well, take 10 minutes and make it quick. And I said, well, and so we walked out in the hall. I said, what is it? He goes, I don't know, man, but it's some woman. I said, is it my mother? He said, oh, no. He said, this is a good-looking woman. <laughs> I said, how do you know? He said, she sounds good-looking. I said, you did good. You did good. <laughs> so I went and got the phone, and I said, hello? And it's my wife-to-be, Susan. And she goes, Kim, you probably don't remember me, but my name is Susan. And I was going, no, what? Who? <laughs> On the outside. <laughs> On the inside, I was going, and so I said, uh, now, when was this? And so she tells me, and she says, you told me something wonderful had happened to me. She said, it happened last night in my apartment. She said, I accepted Jesus in my life, and I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said, what are you doing Friday night? Because <laughs> now she's legal tender, y'all. I mean, so long story short, we dated for two years. We got married. She had an apartment. I had an apartment. And we knew that neither one of those was going to work. And so we set a budget. We kind of set our vision for what we wanted, and so we thought if we could have an apartment that would have this and this and this, and in this price range, that would be great. And so when I'd be in rehearsals or on the road, she'd be out looking. And so one day she called me and she said, Kim, how would you like it to have a three-bedroom, two-bath house with an enclosed, fenced-in front and backyard, a two-car carport for $25 more than our budget? I was like, do it, get it. I said, where's it at? She said, I'm sitting in front of it now. I said, make an appointment. She says, I've got the lady right here. I said, tell her we'll take it. And we weren't married yet. I said, I'll move into it, move into it until we get married. I'll make that sacrifice. You know, look, look to me for that. Uh, so long story short, we got that house. It was right over here where Truist Park is, where the Braves play on Spring Road. We lived right here in Atlanta. And we had three bedrooms and two baths, had a fenced-in yard, had a gate to pull in the driveway. I remember every time we would pull into that house, I would blow trumpets and do all kinds of things. I'm now opening the gate to my driveway and carport because I thought, this is incredible. I mean, we just, I'm 19 years old. We've got a house and we've got a, a two car carport and a fence. I mean, that just seems so beyond what could ever happen. But we're there. We're in. And we've been there about five months. And how many of you here get hungry at night? And one night, none of you raised your hand. How many of you here ever get hungry at night? You know, so, so we're sitting there. She says, what can we eat? And I said, let me, let me go look. She goes in the kitchen and find us something. So I, I said, man, I'm telling you, it's kind of slim pickings here. And so I came back in here. And so we were thinking, well, one of us should go out. And I said, and I know anytime it is suggested that we do anything, <laughs> we don't ever do stuff. We's never painted. We's never taken down trees. We's never picked up limbs. None of that. We talk about it. One of us does it. The other one evaluates the job. And so she said, you know, we, and I said, I, I don't, don't want to go. She goes, I know what we could get. I said, what? She said, the top of our wedding cake is in the freezer. You know, you're not supposed to eat that until your one year anniversary. I said, six months, close enough to jazz for me. I said, I will go. I'm a hunter gatherer. Let me go get it. And so it was in there, well, it was hard as a rock, y'all. And, and we kept waiting and waiting. We ended up not, you know, we just trying to make cuts. I needed a chainsaw. Do anything. So I put the cake back. So we're laying there, we're kind of frustrated. And all of a sudden, she kind of looks at me. And she's got this crazed look in her eye. She said, Kim. I said, what? She said, God just spoke to me. I couldn't tell she's being funny because we do that. And I said, yeah. And she said, no, I'm telling you, God just spoke to me. And I said, what? He said, she said, he told me he's going to give us a house. I said, baby, you're dreaming. I said, we're, that's where we are. We're in the house. She goes, no. God told me he's going to give us our house. We rent this. She said, God told me he's going to give us a house. I said, really? She said, yes. And she said, we're going to look for it first thing in the morning. I said, tomorrow's Saturday. 
I mean, it's only a day to sleep in. I said, we're not. I've got a busy day planned. She goes, well, what have you got planned? Well, there's a, there's a basketball game at one, and there's a boxing match I want to see at four. She goes, no, set your alarm. Set your alarm for seven. We're getting up going looking. I said, I am not getting up at 7 in the morning tomorrow to go look at her house. She said, yes, you are. I said, I am not. She said, set your alarm. I said, I'm not, and I'm not getting up. Did I get up? Yes, yes I got up. <laughs> 7 in the morning, we're up. And so she says, take us, let's go look for a house. I said, baby, we don't have anything in our savings account. $75. Our saving account was $75. This is in 1981. And so I said, you know, she said, Kim, I'm telling you, God told me. So I said, okay. So I start driving. Well, I drove to the poorest subdivisions I was aware of. <laughs> and I'm, I wasn't trying to be a smart guy, frankly. I was just thinking, this will shut this down pretty quick, and we'll go eat Hardee's. And, uh, and she goes, why, why are you bringing this here? I said, what kind of house do you think you're going to buy for $75? <laughs> It made her mad. I said, baby, you can't buy a, 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 a house of Monopoly for $75. <laughs> she said, well, I didn't tell you this because she said, I could see you didn't have the faith to believe for it. But she said, God told me he's giving us a brand new house. I said, oh, like one nobody's ever lived in. She said, exactly. I said, well, then by all means, let me drive to new subdivisions. She said, that's what I'm talking about. So we started driving to new subdivisions. How many of you have ever driven around looking for houses? You know, that, that's kind of fun, maybe, at the beginning. But, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. My heart was, was not there yet. And so, man, I mean, every moment, we would head out, and we wouldn't be 10 minutes, and I would be so bored I could hardly support my body weight. You know, and she'd be, Kim, let's go look. And so, I mean, every free minute, she would have us in new subdivisions looking for houses. And so finally one day, she said, pull over. I said, why? She said, pull over. I've got a game for us to play. I said, all your games are dumb. I'm not pulling over. She goes, don't pull over. I said, I'm not. She said, pull over. So I pull over. I said, what's the game? She said, tell me about the house God's going to give us. I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I said, she said, well, what do you want in your house? I said, well, why don't you tell me about the house God's going to give you? You're the one. She said, well, I will. She said, I thought you'd never ask. She said, my house is going to have an octagonal-shaped window in the kitchen. Now, over your lifetime, how many houses have you seen with an octagonal-shaped, eight-sided window in the kitchen? I had never. But she said, God told me I could have what I desire. He told me he's going to give it to me. And she said, so I'm telling you and I'm telling him, my house is going to have an octagonal shaped window in the kitchen. She said, not only that, it's going to have a built-in desk underneath the window with drawers built in on each side. And she said, I'm never going to put blinds or drapes over that window. I can sit at my desk. She loves sunshine. She said, I can sit out and look at sunshine every day. She said, that's the house God's going to give me. She said, now, what do you want in your house? She goes, well, you're always talking about a basement. You want a basement, don't you? I said, yeah. She says, okay. She says, you want a garage, don't you? You always talk about a garage, don't you? Yeah. She said, well, okay, see, there you know your house. So she said, go find us a house with a basement, a two-car garage, and an octagonal-shaped window with a desk built in on either side. I said, okay. <laughs> to be forthright with you, it didn't do much for me. I still get bored and frustrated because we did this for days. And finally, one day we're driving. We've been looking for a couple of hours. And I was in my head building the shouldn't we eat lunch speech <laughs> when she said, stop, stop. I thought a child had run out into the road or a dog. I'd slam on the brake. And I'm looking. And I said, what? And she goes, stop the car. I said, I did. She goes, look. And I said, where? She goes, look. I said, where? She goes, <clears throat> and I looked and to my left. Was it, it looked like Noah's Ark, this huge home. And what's right there, front and center, an octagonal shape. She said, turn in, turn in, turn in. I said, I'm going. I slowly turned in. I pulled in the drive. 
the car hadn't even stopped rolling. And she's out and she starts running. Have you ever seen video of lovers running across a field? <laughs> she starts running towards this house. And I thought she was going to run right up to the window. But she ran right past the house out of my view. And I remember visualizing, you know, an officer. Well, officer, we pulled up to the house. And she ran, and I've not seen her since. I, I don't even know. She ran out of my life. And she just goes running towards the house, I guess. And so I slowly walked up, and I figured out what she's going around the back. And it had a rear deck, a deck on the back with steps up it. And she's up there on the steps on the deck, sliding glass door, doing like this. She goes, come here, come here, come here. I said, okay. She goes, come here. And so I walked dutifully up the steps. She goes, look. And you did have to kind of go like this. But if you looked through the dining room into the kitchen, what was directly below the octagonal-shaped window? A desk with built-in drawers on each side. And she looks at me and she goes, did you get your garage? Well, I hadn't even thought to look. (laughs) Two-car garage, full basement. The builder's in the house. He's still working on it. He comes out. I think he saw her looking through the door, and he's thinking, are they going to come and, you know, mess my place up? And he says, can I help you folks? My wife said, we want to buy this house. I said, baby, baby, $75. She goes, we'd like to buy this house. He goes, well, all right, little lady, that'd be great. I'm the builder. But he said, do you have an agent you're working with? She and I both looked at each other, you know, an agent. He goes, you don't have a real estate agent? No. He goes, well, that's no problem. He said, I, I have one. Is it all right if I call her for you? My wife said, call her. So in like five minutes, this lady pulls in. And she says, so y'all are interested in the house? My wife said, oh, yes, this is, this is my house. She said, well, that's what I like to hear. She said, well, let's take you inside and let's look at your house. Susan said, could we go to the kitchen first? She said, well, sure. Every woman loves the kitchen. My wife said, I said, it's more than that, sister, believe me. And so... <laughs> We went to the kitchen, and she stands there. There's no chair or anything at that desk. It's just a, a desk built in, in the cabinets, and she's just sitting there looking and she, for a long time, and she turns and looks at me. She goes, Kim, this is, this is my house. This is my house. And every room the lady would take us to, the lady was leading, and then Susan and then me, and every room we'd go, and Susan would turn and look at me, this is my house. This is my house. We still just had $75. But now, in Susan's mind, this is all that needed to happen. We found the house. She said, God told me he's going to give it to us. And then she looks at me and goes, what are you going to do to get me this house? <laughs> I said, well, I drove you here. <laughs> and she goes, no, what are you going to do to get me this house? And I was like, well, baby, I don't. So then, now our dream has manifested. How many of you know you've got to be ready? Put yourself in a position to be blessed. And then when things happen, be ready to move. Be ready to take steps. Be ready to take steps in faith. How many know the Bible says a man plans his way, but what does God direct? Footsteps. You don't get direction until you move your feet. We'd have never found that house if we weren't out looking for it. But because we got out and we dutifully looked and we looked and we looked, we'd never got a coach if we hadn't gone out and looked for it. Six and a half years we looked. But then God gave us the very one we desired. Whatever it is that you have visions or dream for, whatever it is you want to see come to get out and look. Move your feet. Look at your neighbor and say, move your feet. God ain't going to come find you on your vacation, knock on your hotel room door and say, here's your visions and dreams, room service. God never said he'll come looking for you. He said, you need to go looking for him. He said, and I diligently reward those who look for me. How many of you know he wants you to look for him, but he's not hard to find? And so the Lord said, get out and look. Well, I started thinking. First thing, yard sale. So we had a yard sale. And then we had one extra car because my mother-in-law had moved in with us. How many of you know for many men, that would be the curse of death? I'm not looking at you in particular, but I just saw the grin on your face. I inwardly saw that your, your baby jumped within you. And I said that. Uh, for me, and for many men, that would be the curse of death. But i got to tell you, for me, it was never anything but a blessing. My mother-in-law was wonderful. She would fix me my plate for every meal. I'm talking about every meal. Kim, your plate's fixed. My wife used to tell her, Mommy can fix his own plate. 
I used to tell my wife, I like your mom better than I like you. <laughs> I said, if I'd have met your mom first, I'd have married her. <laughs> and so her mama was on Social Security. She was a widow. She lived in an apartment. I said, Granny, we called her Granny. I said, when we get this house, you're moving in with us. I said, we, we, you don't need an apartment. This house is so big, you're moving in with us. And I said, you, you don't have to have your own car. You can use one of us. So we sold a car. And then we just started going, well, what can we sell? We started selling everything we could think of. But we weren't getting close because now when we talked to the agent and, and Susan told her we want to buy the house, and, and she says, well, have y'all been pre-qualified? <laughs> I knew that had to do with money. And I knew it wouldn't help if I said, well, we have got $75. I mean, that, that would... <laughs> And she says, we've got the cart before the horse. We need to get y'all pre-qualified. And so we went through that whole process, and they told us how much money we'd have to have for a down payment. So we're dutifully selling and everything, furniture. Granny's got furniture that she won't need because she's moving in us. We're selling. Some of the stuff she had was better than ours, so we're selling some. We're just selling. We're moving. We're doing whatever we can, taking every extra job. But, man, we're just inching towards what our goal is. My father is Native American. Fort Berthold Union Reservation in North Dakota. Now, for those who look at me and go, my mom's German. Blonde hair and blue eyes. She only has white skin if she has a tan. Otherwise, she's completely clear. You can see right through my mom. I remember the first time I looked at an encyclopedia. Y'all remember the encyclopedia? First of all, how many of y'all remember encyclopedias? But how many of y'all remember that you looked up the human body? They had those clear, you know, here's yeah. the circulatory. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, that's my mom. So I look like I do because I got a Native American dad, I got a German mom. When my dad was born on the Fort Berthold Union Reservation, the white men came in and they condemned all the land, the home he was built, he was born in, and they took it, gave him one dollar for it. And you know the history of this nation, Native American people have been done wrong, quite frankly. This is in North Dakota on the Missouri River. Well, in the midst of our, how are we going to get this house? I go to the mailbox one day. No. And I go out there and there's a letter. Oh, my and it says, the Department of the Interior. Oh, and I open it up and it says, due to the Buffalo Rights Treaty of 1876. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? what? This was 100 years ago. Do the Buffalo Rights Treaty of 1876, you see a treaty, treaty been made between the federal government and our people. It had never been honored. And it was found and taken to the Supreme Court over 100 years later. And finally, after a whole lot of wrangling, the Supreme Court said, well, what are we going to do? I mean, we can't. It, it called for land that was now privately owned. They couldn't give that. And so they did give land back to the tribe. But then they said, we're going to set aside money and trust for each registered tribal member. And it took 105 years. And I went to my mailbox. And Shazam. It wasn't everything we needed. It got us almost there. And so we started selling more stuff and doing more stuff. And finally, the lady called us and she says, the bank said you're going to need all this money in deposit by Friday at 5 o'clock. And so by Thursday at 5 o'clock, I called her and said, it's all there. And we were like, glory to God, there's a, we can taste it now. And the next night, Friday night, we were going out to eat. How many of y'all remember everybody's pizza? Yes. You remember it over by Emory University, everybody's pizza? That it was the, the best pizza I've had this day in my life. It's now out of business, but it was the best. We were going out to eat that Friday night with this couple to celebrate our new house. And on Friday at like 2 o'clock, the lady at the real estate company called and said, the bank said, you're going to need $500 more. I said, by in three hours? And she said, well, I think I can get them to extend it until Monday at 5. Well, she might as well have said 2020 at 5. I mean, we had literally drained everything in our life to get to that goal and thought we were there, and now we're $500 short. Now, I didn't even want to tell my wife. I mean, I just knew so crush her. And so I said, I said, baby, I said, she said, who was that? I said, well, it was Grace. And she says, and, and we need $500 more. And she just collapsed and started crying. And I said, baby, it's going to be all right. How? How's it going to be all right? 
I mean, we've, we've done everything. I said, I don't know, but it's going to be all right. And she says, call Jerry and Jennifer and tell them we can't go. I said, baby, we were going to everybody's pizza. <laughs> I said, no, let's, let's, let's don't make any rash, terrible decisions here. I said, the best thing we can do right now is to get our mind off of this house. It's all we've thought about. She goes, we need to stay here and worry about this house. I said, no, let's go. So I convinced her and we went. If you knew everybody, you had to wait forever to get your table. Finally, we got a table and they seated us. It's packed. There's all kind of people. And on the table when we sat down, there was a little card-looking envelope. And I said, oh, I called the waiter sober. I said, somebody left us. And Jerry goes, oh, no, no, no. He said, that's from Jennifer and I. And I said, what is it? So I opened it up, and it had the scripture, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We rejoice with you and in your new home. And when I opened that card up, there's a check in there. You tell me how much it was for. And everybody's pizza to boot. I'm telling you this story because we live in a time right now the way the economy is, the way interest rates are, that if you don't own a home, if you listen to what people are telling you, you'll never own a home. Things couldn't be any worse. Things couldn't be any more disastrous. People are graduating college having to live in their parents' house, all this negative stuff. Let me tell you something. God's arm is not short. Many of you are thinking he'll bless you in the future. He went 105 years in my past. He can go either way. So whatever it is you're believing God for, it's important enough for you to want it. If it's important enough to go on the website, to get a brochure, to look at it, isn't it important enough for you to write it down? Put it somewhere prominent, somewhere where your eyes see it every day. Put it on your cell phone. You'll see it there. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Keep your vision in front of you. Change your mind. Get rid of negative thinking. Nothing will rob you quicker than wrong thinking. And then confess your dream. My wife dutifully told me the house she would have. And she got exactly what she said. Wait a minute. Is that in the Bible? I'm thinking it is. It's in Mark 11. Jesus said it in verse 22. Put that up there for us, Kim. He said what? The real rendering of this scripture is have the God kind of faith. Well, how many of you know you do? Remember, he gave unto every man the measure of faith. Look at the next verse. So I tell you, if anyone would speak to the mountain and say, go throw yourself into the sea, and as long as you don't doubt in your heart but believe that what you say will happen, it will be done for them. In other words, whatever you ask for in prayer, as Paul said in Philippians 4, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Whatever your vision is, whatever your dream is, get it before your eyes and stay on it like a bulldog. Amen? I told you there was five principles. I'm just going to tell you the last two. The first one's write it down. The second one is change your mind. The third one that I talked about today, confess your dream. The fourth one, fellowship with other dreamers. Nothing will build your faith like fellowshipping and spending time with somebody else that's got a vision from God. The Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you're believing God for things, hang out with other people that are too, right? And the last one, Find someone else's dream and sow into it. What's the quickest way to see your dreams come to pass? Write it down. Change your mind. Confess your dream. Fellowship with other dreamers. And then find somebody else that has a dream and sow some of your resources into their dream. Because the Bible says, in the same measure that you give, it'll be returned to you a multiple thereof. So whatever you're believing God for, Take some of what you've saved. Take some of what you're planning to do. Sow that into somebody else. Because how many of you know that's how God rolls? What well, I didn't tell you about Jerry and Jennifer that gave us that $500 check? They were trying to buy a new house at the same time we were. And 500 bucks in 1981 was a lot of money. And that's what they did for us. And what God gave them, I can tell you that's a whole other story. But it's because of their faithfulness. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Your dream may not be a house. Your dream, as I said, may be to get out of debt. That may seem completely irrational 
How could we ever do this? But here's the deal. The Bible says he's got cattle on a thousand hills. Some of y'all see people got cattle on ten hills and you're impressed. He's got cattle on a thousand hills and he's your daddy. He said the wealth of the ungodly is stored up for the just. That's you and me. That's what he said. And he don't lie. He's never lied. He's the only person you've encountered over your lifetime that won't lie to you. He keeps covenant. He is faithful in his promises. I said to you before, he may not come when you want him to, but he'll come on time. And so whatever it is you're believing God for, every one of you in this room, I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to get it in your mind right now. What am I going to go home? Or what am I going to get out in that car? What am I going to write down that I'm believing him for? Because for me to have ministered on this today and you to sat here and listen, it will be a complete inconsequence if you don't act on it. And so as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed right now, I want you to start thinking about, what am I going out there to write out? What is it I'm believing God for? And maybe the whole reason for this message, if you don't have anything, if you've lived to this point in your life without a vision, without a dream, it's high time you got one. That's why God had you here today, had me minister on this, to bring you into life. I need a vision. I need a dream. I need a purpose. Father, I pray that you would just add your blessing to everything I've shared today, Lord. I pray that you would give these people the rest and assurance that what you've done for one, you will do for others. That you are faithful. That there's no shadow of turning in you. That you've never changed your mind. That every one of your promises are yea and amen. I just speak that over the families that are here that need to be out of debt. Father, I just pray for increase from the north, the south, the east, and the west into their lives. To pay off their indebtedness. You said in the year of Jubilee, you not only pay off debts, you'll cancel debts. That it ever is paid off. You just cancel it. Lord, however you choose to do it. For anybody here in this room that needs healing, Lord, I pray that no matter what the doctors have told them, no matter what research has said, no matter what genealogists have told them about this as a genetic disease, I thank you, Father, you broke every curse through the blood of Jesus. Even genealogical curses are broken in the name of Jesus. And so I speak healing over anyone here that needs healing. Whoever it is here that's believing to buy a house, I pray their faith will be built today. They go out of here ready to go look, Father, to move their feet. I pray for those here believing God to conceive a child. Lord, I thank you that you can do what people can't do for themselves. You can bring about the miracles. I just speak the blessing of your word over each of them here today, Father. And lastly, to close, your head bowed, your eyes closed. It don't matter where I go minister or what I minister on. I never minister without giving an opportunity for whoever might be here who's never given your heart to Jesus. See, here's the deal. Complete honesty. Just because you're in church don't mean you're going to heaven. Just because your wife's a Christian don't make you one. Just because you own a Bible won't get you in. Jesus told a man named Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. What does that mean? That means at some point in your life, you had to have come to a place where you admitted, my life is broken, I have sinned, and I can't fix it. I need a Savior. See, many of you think, I can do all the good I want to do. That'll get me there. No. Be as good as you want won't get you to heaven. It's only the blood of Jesus that'll do that. And so it'd be crazy for me to have ministered, had all of you here in this room today, and not given an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. Not going to make you come to the front. I'm just going to pray for you right where you're seated. But if you're here today and you're honest enough to admit, I'll never have vision and dream until I have a Savior. See, that's what's compiled this or compounded this problem for many of you. If you've never been able to stick to a vision or dream, because you don't have a Savior. Your life, your whole life is obscured and confused by sin and heartbreak. But that's what Jesus died for. To take away not only your sin, but to replace depression with joy. To replace fear with faith. And to take away your past and give you a future. So this is your chance. Here's what's cool. You don't need a pen. You don't need a password. There's no forms to fill out. There's no lines to stand in. All you have to do, the Bible says, is to believe in your heart that he loves you. And that he died for you. And then confess it with your mouth. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're ready, ready to live and not die, ready to have hope and not despair, 
then I want you to do something simple. Right where you're seated, just raise your hand so I can see it, and I'm just going to pray with you. I see it. You can put it down. That's two. Church, pray. God's moving. You can put them down. Who else here would say, this is for me. I'm ready to ask Jesus in my heart. Who else? The night I got saved, the man had to ask three times, so I'm going to ask one more time. There's already been two, but there may be somebody else here. Who else here would say, this is for me. I'm ready. All right? Father, I want everybody in this room to just pray this prayer out loud with me right now in, in honor of these two. Father, I thank you for loving me. For sending your son to die. For sending your son to die. So that I could live. So that I could live. For I believe, For I believe that by his shed blood, by his shed blood my, sins my sins are now forgiven. And by his resurrection, by his resurrection I, have I have eternal life. I believe that in my heart. I Say that. I believe that in my heart. I Say it again. I believe that in my heart. And I'm confessing it with my mouth. That Jesus is my Savior. That I'm delivered from my past. And I have a hope in the future. My best days are ahead of me. My best days are ahead in, of Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God glory?